Hello and welcome to the Telehealth OT podcast where occupational therapists, parents, caregivers, and patients share their telehealth stories. My name is Dr. Reina Oliveira and I am the owner of Telehealth OT Services where we specialize in working with children with autism and also provide education and trainings to occupational therapists about telehealth. I have been able to share my story with the world and now I am extremely happy to give others the opportunity to do the same. Enjoy today's Telehealth OT story. So welcome everyone to this episode of the Telehealth OT podcast. This is a very unique episode. When I first thought about starting this podcast, I said, I'm only going to have OTs or people with OT stories. Um, But when I reached out to one of the mom groups on Facebook, um, Kate Casey, who we have here, she reached out and she said that her child received a diagnosis via telehealth. And I was like, this is a story that OTs and parents are going to want to hear. And so I'm super happy to have not only Kate here, but also the clinical psychologist, Dr. Anna Kroenke and Dr. Marcy Willard here today who diagnosed her child. So welcome, ladies. Thank you so much for being here. Yes, thank you. Awesome. So we will start with Kate. So tell us a little bit about you and about your. Oh, I so I have three children. Um, one is neurotypical and two are autistic. The littlest two are on the spectrum. They were both diagnosed by telehealth first. My middle daughter was diagnosed and then probably about a year later that um, I came back to doctors Willard and Kroenke and asked them to um, help me out with the diagnostics for my littlest. Um, Basically the process was um, a series of trying to find a specialist local to us and being sent to the wrong person who um, you know one time they'd given us an appointment and then called me back the week before the appointment to say, oh no, you can't have an appointment with that person because you don't have a diagnosis. So you have to have an appointment with someone else who wouldn't have been able to help me. And the appointment was pushed out. And it was just um, really, really painful trying to even find out who I was supposed to be taking my child to see. Um, I was put on um, a waiting list So the closest local specialists to us are in Boston. That is an hour away from us. I was put on their list almost three years ago now. Still haven't had a follow-up call, nothing. Wow. Um, Yeah. So fortunately, I was not sitting waiting to get that call. Um, I was um, connected with Clear Child Psychology um, and told that they had a framework to help diagnose kids earlier and more accurately and get the families the supports that they need in place. And I thought, that is exactly what I'm looking for. Um, Come to find out there on pretty much the opposite side of the country from me. Um, I'm in New Hampshire, they're in Colorado. and reached out, discovered that they are doing um, telepsych and were able to um, see me pretty much right away. So 
you know, we talked about what that would look like, that it would be a series of uh, video chats where they're observing my interactions with my child, their her responses to those interactions. I, of course, you know, was um, answering a lot of questions as well and then um, to provide them with additional data. We had some one-on-ones, just the two of us or three of us, depending on which session it was. And um, it was amazing. It was natural. It was, if you can imagine me putting my child in a car, mm -hmm. I'm anxious, they're anxious, we're driving an hour away, right. maybe more. We're in the car, we get there, we're in a foreign environment, we're yep. sitting in a waiting room, waiting to be seen. Eventually we're seen, we're brought into another foreign environment. Can we have a couple of transitions here? Mm -hmm. you no know, special needs love transitions, right? So, and then we're being um, analyzed in a strange place by strange people. My child's feeding off of my anxiety. I mean, you can just, yeah. I don't have to, you've been there, done that. Mm -hmm. or, yeah. And where are your other kids at this point? I always think about no, that too. This, this that, exactly. This did like, not happen. Yeah. I did not have no. to go through this. What but happened, you would have had to lug them around, right? Exactly. The contrast to that, which was my experience, was having some FaceTime or Zoom calls. What child isn't used to their parents, you know, interacting over a video chat? It's like nothing, right? It's mm -hmm. completely normal. Yep. In their environment, with their parents, no pressure, mm -hmm. no stress. A couple of times, um, my daughter did, you know, start to have a meltdown with some of the things that were being asked of her. So what happened was, you know, I we stopped the activity. I got her a little bit calmed down, and then I interacted with the doctors, and they asked me other questions, you know, and probed different data points that didn't involve my child's participation. Mm -hmm. So even when it started to feel a little stressful which would be nothing compared to what it would have been otherwise, right? We were able to move on to something that was able to give my child a break and give me a break and still continue to collect data. So the experiences are like so night and day. Yeah. Um, and I always, I always marvel with the fact that I was able to have a more personal experience with people on the opposite side of the country and through the computer screen. Yep. Then I could have, you know, my closest specialist to my home. Yeah. That is amazing. So were you actively looking for telehealth once you realized that the closest person was an hour away? I wasn't, I lucked into it. To wow. be honest with you, I just happened to um, know someone who knew about Clear, who said, you know, give him a call. And hands down, best phone call I have ever made in my entire life. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm so glad that things worked out for you. So Doctors, I want to give you an opportunity to introduce yourself. We'll start with Anna um, and just tell us a little bit about how you got into telehealth and what that's been like. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm Dr. Anna Kroenke and I've been a psychologist for a long time now and specializing in autism and related disorders. And Dr. Willard and I met, you know, 
nine years ago in, in practice. We worked together um, for a time. We uh, authored a textbook on autism assessment, um, and then we worked together kind of working between schools and clinical practice, um, trying to uh, train schools, teachers, school psychologists in some of these things, and um, just working to innovate and offer things for for families. And so one of the things that families told Marcy and I for a lot of years is like, this is really hard. It's hard for me to schlep in a car for five hours to get to your office. I mean, remember Colorado is a pretty big state. So we were seeing people from all over um, and just these questions of, but how can I follow up? How can I get more information? You know, what can we do virtually? Um, and it was really Marcy's idea to take a step back and look at this. How, how can we do this? So I'll let Marcy tell you about kind of how we established CLEAR. Yes. Hi. Thank you for having me and thanks for doing this. Uh, this is such an important topic and I hope that I can adequately express how uh, passionately we feel about the need for this. So I really appreciate this. Yeah, of course. I, I wanted to. to I, yeah, thank you. I wanted to share that um, when I was listening to Kate tell her story that every time I hear Kate uh, explain what she went through, um, it makes me first cry because I just think this should not be this way. Yeah. And then just, I feel just infuriated because it's uh, so possible uh, to help these families not have that experience. And yet that is the, the main way that this goes down most of the time. Yeah. So mostly people wait at least 18 months to get in and mostly they are shuffled from doctor to doctor, therapist to therapist, school to school with no resolution to their challenges and their questions. Mm -hmm. And there's no reason for that. So um, it, it's really, I just think this is so important what you're, what you're doing. And uh, to your question previously about uh, kind of why we started this, we are clinical psychologists, as Anna mentioned, and we had written the textbook and really wanted to get this information disseminated uh, to clinic clinicians so that they would get this out there, right? So this would be more, more possible and more prevalent. And then we heard from families that they want something now they want to actually be able to access good care from the comfort of their homes or from wherever they live um, right now so that they can get their answers and get them into the right therapies and, and Kate can speak to that more that the difference between not having that diagnosis and not knowing what those therapies are and then getting into those therapies and getting things on track is like night and day but it's completely different and so we knew that the need is urgent and the need is right now. Mm -hmm. it, it's not for once the clinicians all kind of change their process or once the hospitals say, oh yeah, we're going to start taking people when COVID is over, you know, uh, when's that going to happen? And yeah. how are these families going to get help right now? And so that's why we started this. And uh, we feel just so grateful that we're able to to do this work and then hear stories like like Kate's that I said it, it it rips my heart out and then also makes me jump for joy at the same time that it's such a good outcome for such a hard thing so yeah I love that. I'm super glad that to know that you all are doing this as well, because actually, you know, I, I specialize in working with children with autism, but when I first think about children getting diagnosed, I think about the ADOS, ADOS assessment. And, mm -hmm. you know, when you look at that, it's like this huge box with all these trinkets. So now I'm curious and asking you all, like, what assessments, you know, yeah. did you use or what was your strategy to do an assessment via telehealth? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It is. So we we use a lot of different pieces and so a lot of different rating scales. Um, we do use the ADOS is in terms of in this non-structured way. So um, but prior to coming in, you know, I was able to email Kate and say, hey, can you gather some puzzles? Can you gather some toys, have some characters, have some dolls? Do you have a set of bu bubbles, a snack off to the side? So this process really does rely on a parent like Kate to take a really active role because what we're doing, you know, similar to a measure called the ADOS PEDS that Vanderbilt has developed, is we're using the parents as an agent to carry out something similar um, to an ADOS in a setting um, where really the parent has to do the work and we're just taking our observations and guiding her and asking her questions, um, but we're watching the parent engage with their own child. So it's certainly in no way any kind of standardized ADOS, but we do use some of the guidance and some of the tasks. Um, and Marcy and I also developed an overarching summary measure that we that is a virtual measure that we use to actually get our autism scores and to determine, um, you know, to, to be a piece of our puzzle, um, right? So we rely a lot on that developmental history and clinical interview piece. We use scales like the Vineland and the Basque, maybe the Connors or the Brief, depending on what other pieces we need to collect. Um, we'll use a developmental profile or pieces of a Mullen scale or you know, so something that we, can, that we can gather a few pieces of data, again, um, using Kate as an agent. Um, but we really find, you know, it doesn't, we're not trying to get the perfect assessment. We're mm. trying to get to the diagnosis and really determine what's going on with the child because that's what you need to direct the treatment. And so when Kate's kids are eight years old, if they really need a cognitive that's just on point, then she can get that. But we're not going to have her wait two years to get a reasonable assessment when we can look at all of these symptoms right. and figure out if it's autism, you know, using a telehealth process. So, so that was really what I love that. I I think people are surprised when I tell them that I don't really use standardized tests in occupational therapy the way that I do it. And it's because I feel like observation is so much more valuable and watching them in their home environment, you can gather so much information. So I love hearing you say that it's, you know, that's along the same lines um, in psychology. So you brought up something about your conversation with Kate. So I'm curious about how you talk to parents um, in the very beginning to prepare them for that initial call? Yeah, so one of the things that, that we do is through that measure that Anna and I talked about, uh, our tool, it's called CADE, it, it collects information in the beginning and then also throughout the assessment and at the end when we make our final diagnosis. And we look across 11 dimensions of a child's life. So that might be behavior, uh, emotional, social, communication, those kinds of pieces. We put those together. And when we send that out to Kate, Kate can fill up a survey at a time that's convenient for her, which I think is a really important piece, right? So Kate could sit there yeah. and think about her answers and not be in a doctor's office with a piece of paper and her daughter just spilled water on it and she's trying to figure out how to answer these questions before her appointment, right? So yeah. she gets the scale in advance. Kate, did one you want to speak to that? I noticed you perking up. And there's a ton of additional information available about what are we asking. Right. What do the different ratings mean, which is so huge because usually you get a stack of papers and they have zero through five. There's no additional information. I filled those out with someone, a professional once, whose job it was to fill those out. 
with parents and she couldn't even tell me exactly what they were asking. That's not a good thing. Wow. Right, right. So those rating scales can be uh, not only arduous for families, but also depressing, right? We were talking, Kate and I were talking about how they would ask you something like, um, you know, does your, does your child, can she sit and listen to a story for five minutes? And then can she sit and listen to it for 10 minutes? And then can she listen, listen to it for 20 minutes? And she's like, I already told you, she doesn't do that, right? And the <laughs> questions keep going and it's hard to say no, no, no. And over, you're rating them a zero and it's like excruciating. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, we tried to make our measure so that we had these short, succinct descriptions of each of the different items, really explaining what are we looking for here. And we also made it dynamic so um, that if your child is nonverbal um, or if they're under three, you know, they're not going to get asked uh, certain questions. You know, it's going to change the scale so that they're asked things that would be appropriate for their child's development. Um, again, just to kind of ease that process on families and really try to say, hey, this is what we're looking for. We give a lot of guidance and even link articles that we've written on topics. Um, again, if a parent finds something they're really interested in, they're like, oh, this is a big problem for us. They could read an article on it and even start trying some strategies um, for that symptom. Right, right. So, uh, so the, that's the first part of our process, right? So we would send this out to Kate and she would answer the questions. We get that back before we have our first meeting. And so by the time we sit down with Kate and she knows, okay, we're going to need a quiet hour with you to review this. And so Kate's prepared. She's not, again, stuck in this office trying to figure how to manage all of her kids while she's answering questions. So we would review all those questions that she had filled out and target our questions around where she had concerns. Right. So the nice thing with our measure is on 11 areas, nobody has concerns in every single area. Thank goodness. Right. So right. there's going to be some areas where there's concerns, some areas where there aren't. So we'll dig in a little bit more. Okay. So tell me about some of those strengths. And so we'll think about how can we build on those? And then we'll talk about those concerns. Okay. How are we, and we're thinking in our minds, how am I going to test that? Let me make sure I understand where you're, what you're concerned about in that area. And so then um, we would let Kate know, okay, when we, when we meet again, we're going to want your daughter with you. And here's the kinds of materials you're going to want to collect. And then also to collect some videos. So we uh, give a list of videos that we'd like to see um, before that, that assessment. And the, again, the reason is we're targeting that. Okay, so we already saw that she can do this one task. Let's say that, that we said, hey, call her name. And uh, from the other side of the room, see if she turns around. Right. Well, if we already have that one, I'm not going to have to do that when we when we meet with her with her daughter. Right. So then we schedule um, one or a series of assessments with the child. And then we have a follow up meeting where we review those results and then uh, the report comes that day to the family. Wow. I love that. You, you beat me to my question. I was going to ask about like the asynchronous telehealth and whether you're collecting videos um, mm -hmm. beforehand or, you know, in the, in the middle of it when, with a follow-up and whatnot. Cause I think those videos, those home videos are so powerful. Yeah. They provide so much more information. I know from my experience, kiddos like on camera with me are completely different than they are, you know, with their parents. And so being able to see that without being live is really valuable. Mm -hmm. And Anna, maybe you could speak to that on some of the telehealth assessments we've done with some of the older kids when you have a chance to talk to them in their, in their room with the door closed and what they might do. Yeah. 
for sure. We work with all ages. And so, you know, in, in this time of COVID, particularly, we've had a number of, you know, preteen teenagers. Um, and so working with them while they're in their kind of school workstation in their bedroom is really adorable because they're like, oh, let me introduce you to my dog. And then they run off or my cat or, oh, do you see that robot up there? I made that robot. So it allows us to have these more, you know, integrated discussions about their life. Or they'll be like, hey, go, show me your dog. Get one of your dogs up there. So, you know, we'll just do these things that are kind of neat and, and personal. And I feel like um, the kids, um, both kids on the spectrum and not on the spectrum are comfortable with this kind of technology. They know more about Zoom than their parents mm -hmm. do. They'll be like, oh, you know what? Oh, let me show you the type of chair I'm talking about. Ba Boom. And then up it pops on my screen. <laughs> yeah. Like, here's what I use in school if I want to relax. You know, so um, it, it works for them. I think they're comfortable. And we just try to keep the sessions reasonable. So, you know, an hour in length with a, with a preteen or something is nice. And we'll just schedule those maybe four different sessions across a week or two weeks um, so that it doesn't, you know, get too exhausting. Right. But um, we find it works really well for rapport and um, it's a positive experience for uh, kids of all ages. I love that. Are you all um, doing continuous visits with Kate and her family or was it just like for the diagnosis? Yeah. yeah, that's a good question. So we, um, we learned from Kate in a, we had a big uh, stakeholder summit. Um, it's been last November. And uh, so it's been some months now. Um, and uh, Kate uh, provided us with some thoughts about what they would want, what families would want after the diagnosis, right? Because that's really only one of the hurdles in the, in the long-term journey, you know, and there's really not a lot once families get that big packet of, okay, here's your diagnosis and here's your list of recommendations, they're usually on their own. And, and what we discovered was, gosh, families would actually love to be able to know what these symptoms are, track them and talk to their therapist about them and say, oh, I actually know what that means now. And I'm going to tell you an example of when she did that. Um, shared enjoyment is a good example. One day, um, Kate's husband uh, reached out and said, oh, she did it. The other day, we were snuggled up and we, we, we uh, jumped under a blanket and she was laughing and pointing at me and teasing me. And I was like, oh, that's shared enjoyment. And I'm like, yes, it is. She did it. Um, do you want to speak to that, Kate? I, I was just uh, noting those examples. So there's been so much, so much. Um, I caught my daughter's first time ever saying I love you to her dad on video and sent that immediately <laughs> to Marcy. Um, just her playing with her sisters has been one of the big shared enjoyments. The, the leaps and bounds, my middle, they're both really improving significantly regularly, but my middle child, especially her language explosion has been huge. Um, she is officially potty trained, which Ooh, that's a big one. <laughs> um, but back to Kate briefly, being able to track her progress and visually see the difference, um, see it on the chart, see things go um, change color from, you know, red to yellow and uh, green um, is huge. As a parent, it is so difficult sometimes to, things are so gradual 
Usually you have it, you have these moments that are like shabam, but usually it's just day in and day out, gradual, teeny tiny gains that add up over time. But it can be like, um, you know, where you, you don't know until you hit that milestone or you feel like you're, are we getting, are we getting somewhere, you know, because you always want um, them to be able to be the best version of themselves possible and you want to support that and you just want to know you're doing the right thing. So to be able to check in whenever I want in Cade is awesome. I love it. See what's coming next. See what I need to start focusing on. See, you know, where maybe we didn't make the improvements I'd like to see. What can I do to, um, to support those changes? and just continue doing the things that are working um, for my child, not just for any child, for my child, where she is right now. I love that, that is huge, yes. Yes, I was gonna add to that, that that was one of the pieces that we really wanted to build into our tool was a lot of times the recommendations for kids with autism are almost made in a blanket kind of way that they would say, okay, here's the types of things that could work for a child on the spectrum. And as we mm -hmm. know, these kids are all unique in their own ways and they have their different needs. And so if those interventions aren't very targeted, you're really missing a lot, right? Because this profile right. is completely different. And then Kate can speak to this, her two daughters, totally different. And so mm -hmm. the needs are different and the goals are different and you need to write those recommendations and speak to those things and track those things separately and not think of it as, okay, we're just going to heal this whole enchilada all at the same time, right? Because we, we yeah. in human behavior, we don't change like that. We don't go from I'm over here and now I'm going to just go up here, right? We do these little gradual steps and we have a little you know, go forward a little bit, maybe backslide a touch, keep going, right? Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that I equate it to is like, if you go on a diet, you go on a diet and imagine that you don't have a scale and you have no way to measure your progress and to celebrate when things are working, how long are you going to stay on that diet? Yeah, not very long. Right. So you need to be able to monitor that success. And so the answer to your uh, question earlier about the kind of what do we do after diagnosis is we have a program where we're mentoring and, and helping these families through their long-term journey in terms of progress monitoring and coaching. So families can sign up for a, a just a one-off consultation if they need one, an additional assessment if they need that, and they can actually do assessments on their own uh, through our tool. So they can communicate with their own providers. We feel like profiles, strength-based, um, and profiles that also show weaknesses that a child's experiencing are the way to go versus just kind of using a blanket statement like it's autism. Well, it can look like so many different things. So we have 11 domains and you can see where are the strengths? What areas are going really well? You know, within each domain, we have symptoms and we display them through radar charts. So you can see, okay, this is a real problem I want to work on, but I, this is a great strength over here. You know, so I might have great social motivation, but I'm not very good at conversations. So we're really need to work on that. So with parents, we like to show them this very distinct profile for their child. And that's kind of becomes their jumping off point for treatment. So then they can take that to their occupational therapist, to their speech therapist, to their school and say, okay, so this is where we are. And so here's some of the targets that we want to work on. And then that person can help them monitor and they can, you know, obviously come back and check back in with us as well. Um, but we want parents to be able to kind of own and, and direct the treatment for their child 
child and really understand, not just kind of hear this autism word, but really understand their child's profile and what their child needs to make progress. Mm -hmm. Because obviously we're not in their house every day, you know, so we need to transfer that to families. Yeah, I love that. It lines up so well with occupational therapy. We have an OT profile, same thing, where you're looking at that child's individual strengths and weaknesses and their barriers and their environment and their culture and all this stuff. And it's unique to that individual and that family. Mm -hmm. And so that is really, really important. And I love that that lines up with, you know, the way that we practice as well. So Kate, what kind of um, therapies, talking about other therapies, um, is your child, both of your child, you mentioned both of them, are they getting? Currently, my girls are only in ABA. They are in full-time ABA, 40 hours a week each. Um, it is a full-time job for them right now, you know? Um, right. And I don't feel like there is any room for anything else at this time because they're already, there's a lot being asked of them in an eight hour day, five days a week. Um, so there is um, speech language embedded in their programming because the um, practice that we work with has, you know, they're, um, they have a speech language pathologist, BCBA, who founded them. So there is a ton of that already integrated, um, but their programs, you know, ABA, they're, it's very intensive. It's all day long. They're working um, at their skill level and trying to help them build those skills. So um, yeah, right now I'm not ready to pull anything else in just because it is yeah. so um, so all encompassing right now. Yeah, I love hearing your perspective on that. I'm sure all of you are well aware of like the debate versus like ABA or no ABA and you know everything that this whole the whole community talks about. Um, so I'm just curious. I don't. I don't want to talk about whether it's good or bad. Like we can, that can be a whole another episode, but I'm just curious how you came about the decision to put your children in a full-time ABA program. Was it with the advice of physicians or kind of where did you, how did you decide to do that? Um, Partly on the recommendations of um, the doctors. Mostly um, I was, really unhappy with the public school experience that I had with my middle daughter and doing a a preschool program with her. It was just dreadful. It was not what my daughter needed. It was not helping her. Um, And I, to me, she needs something that is tailored to her where she is right now, the skills that she needs. She doesn't need to know the difference between red, blue, and purple before she's able to communicate her basic needs. Right. So, and that's what, um, you know, I'm, I'm very involved in her ABA therapy. I have been even when they were in office, you know, I was always at the clinics you know, I always was working with her BCBA who, I mean, I'm extremely lucky. The practice we're working with is incredible. They Is it all home-based? Yeah, because they're uh, mandatory essential um, medical workers. They've been able to continue to come through all of this. Uh, what they did was they had um, just one-to-one, uh, so one therapist per child 
um, throughout this. And because I have two children, we're able to have both therapists work with both children. And then their BCBA is actually telehealth. So she um, doesn't come to my home. She does telehealth overlap. She does telehealth parent trainings. So that's been great as well. Um, but it, I'm, I'm, I'm focusing their programs on um, communication, being able to um, meet their own basic needs and um, uh, be able to, you know, like toilet training has been like paramount, obviously, because they're you now five and four. So these, all of the things that are going to make their lives better for them are the things that I'm focusing on now with the support of their BCBA and team. Um, and, you know, we'll worry about the academics or them, you know, improving on other like non-essential but nice to have skills once they have those essential skills down. I love that. I love hearing your perspective on that. I'm right there with you on function, basic activities of daily living and getting through that first and foremost. And obviously what's important to you and your family is huge. And I think that's a really important message for a lot of occupational therapists coming from a school-based model or a clinic-based model who are transitioning to telehealth. Um, so just to wrap up here, Kate, what is your advice to a parent who was in your situation before you found the help that you needed? There is help out there. There is help out there. Um, seek it, reach out. Um, it is scary. Um, there is so much like there really is. And it breaks my heart to say this, but it's so true. There's so much fear and pain, um, in the journey, just you, you have this idea of what your child's life is going to be like when you, as a, as a mother, for instance, when you grow them in your belly and you give birth to them and you nurture them as a small child and, you know, you're rocking them at night thinking about what their life is going to be like, right? And then you're faced with the possibility that that is not going to be what their life is like. And that is scary and it's painful. Um, with the right supports in place, it doesn't have to stay like that. You can get the, the diagnosis is a tool. That's all it is. It is a tool. It doesn't mean that your child is going to be any specific way. You want to use that tool to get them all of the supports that they need. The correct supports for them right now, as soon as possible, so that they can be the best version of themselves. Right. That's all any of us want for our kids, whether your kids are typical, whether they have this special need, whatever, all you want for them is to be the best version of themselves. Yes. 100%. What you said about like your expectation of what your life is going to be like when you're pregnant, that reminded me of a story. I don't know if they call it a story or a poem, but I had to read an OT school and I don't know if doctors, if you've heard about it, but it's called Welcome to Holland. Have you heard of it? Kate, did you read that? I have. So any parents who have not read that, I think you need to read that because mm -hmm. it describes exactly what you're saying. Yeah. You think yeah. you're going 
You think your life's going to be one way, but it turns out different. And it doesn't have to be horrible. It doesn't have to be this quote unquote nightmare that you think it's going to be. It can still be beautiful. It can still be an amazing journey if you had the right support in place. Yep. And I would challenge as well that when it is this painful journey long-term, it's because you don't have the right supports in place. Maybe you were on that waiting list for years and weren't able to get your child a diagnosis. And then they went all of that time without being able to grow and develop. The earlier, the sooner you can get these supports in place, the better. And especially now with everything that's going on with COVID, that so many families are being put on the back burner is like heartbreaking. And I think so many families don't know that they have this option available to them. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't have known if someone hadn't told me. Well, that's why I I asked you because I was like, "Uh, did you know about telehealth? Because only Mm -hmm. now people are starting to realize about telehealth, but it's been around for a long time. Yep. That's why, like, I, I feel so strongly about advocating for this because had someone not told me, I would still be on my local hospital's waiting list clinging to every tiny little gain that my child made going, oh, maybe, maybe they're catching up with their peers, you know, and I, I would have clung to that and just, I can't um, break, I can't even, I can't even think, honestly, I can't go there in my mind to how different our lives would be. Um, That, that is the nightmare. That is the horrifying thought. That is just, I'm not even prepared to entertain it because our lives are really great. My kids are doing super well. Our family is thriving. My children are thriving. They are coming into their own as these little individuals and we're supporting their strengths and you know, supporting their challenges. And uh, none of this would have been possible without being able to um, find clear and get them diagnosed. And um, our lives are immeasurably changed. Oh, I'm so happy that you've had a very positive experience. I tell us to everyone, I don't ask my ex guests before whether they like telehealth or whether they hate it. I really want people to share their genuine thoughts. So if I happen to get someone on here that hates it, then that's fine too. But I'm really happy to hear that your experience is positive because obviously I love telehealth. So doctors, where can parents find you if they need help and they haven't found a closer clinician than an hour away? Where can they reach out to you all? I take that one, Anna. Oh, yeah, well, uh, come to our website, um, www.clearchildpsychology.com. Um, look us up, um, I believe we're Clear Child on Facebook. Is that mm-hmm. right, Marcy? Um, and uh, so, and we're on LinkedIn and Instagram and all of those things. So yeah, Clear Child Psychology. And yeah, just reach out to us, um, shoot us an email. So can you see um, nationwide 
Because I know we have laws. Oh, good question. Yeah. So there, there are limits. Now, some states have really opened things up during COVID to expand in, you know, states like Florida and Oregon, who may have had some uh, restricting rules prior, have opened that up to say, you know, no, licensed clinicians can practice. Um, I'm licensed in Georgia and Colorado. Marcy's licensed in Colorado. We have our interjurisdictional practice certificates, which allow us to practice for a number of days in various states, including New Hampshire. <clears throat> which is how we were able to, um, you know, to reach out to Kate and how that works so well when, um, when she contacted us. So um, there are states that we can work within and we're starting to build a network of clinicians who we like and trust in, in other states and some of those states like California that we, we can't practice in. Um, so yeah, it, it, there are some restrictions there, but, um, but there are a lot of states that we can, that we can work in. So. Wonderful. I am so glad that we connected I love connecting with parents and other professionals. And so I just want to thank you all for taking the time to be here with me today. And yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. If you're an occupational therapist and you want to know more about telehealth, be sure to join the telehealth OT Facebook group for more information. I'll catch you on the next episode.